Welcome back to True North. It's a special weekend for so many reasons, not just that you're socially distanced, not just that some of you guys have graduated high school, but one of the special things and kind of a tradition that we do in True North is that we always invite uh, one of our own seniors. So today I'm not preaching. Don't cheer too loudly for that. But I have someone else for you that I think very highly of. And in fact, I'm going to give you a hint. Next week, we're going to do something very similar. So this weekend, I have one of your own, a senior that I have seen grow up in the church. I've been part of his journey. Praise God. I get to be part of this. And now, as he prepares to leave high school, I invited him to share a few words with you. So please give it up. Welcome up, Ethan Strunk. Thank you, Pastor Rod, for sharing such kind words. It's an honor and a privilege to be up here. Um, and it's just amazing that you would let one of your students take the pulpit for a weekend. And it's just a great responsibility. Again, I'm so honored. Thank you. I want to take all of you back to the beginning of the lockdown for a moment, to the beginning of the quarantine. We were all sort of ripped out of our circumstances and sort of forced to adjust to a new way of life in which everything was distanced. We did school online. We you know, did church online. We kept up friendships, either online or six feet from each other. And, and at that time, I was looking through the scriptures to try and find something appropriate to preach on for this weekend. And I was thinking, well, if we're all going to be locked up, and I might have to do this over Zoom, you know, I'm going to need a reminder that's special, something to keep in the back of their mind for when real life resumes. So I found a scripture that I wanted to preach on. It was going to be an excellent reminder. But clearly, we're not over Zoom. We're in this room together. We are distanced, but we're back together as a congregation. And in these last couple weeks of preparing for this, I felt the importance of this reminder grow and grow and grow. And it has become to me more important for us to have this reminder now at this crossroads where we're coming out of this lockdown than it was if we were in the lockdown. We need to keep this here. Whereas I originally thought we'd have it in the back of our minds, we need this right here in front of us right now. Because we're not only moving into normal life, but we're all moving up in a stage of life. We're either going up a grade or we're going to college. So while we're doing that, we all need to make sure we have this here and that it's a priority. So with that said, I'd like you to turn with me to the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, starting at verse 24. Now while you're flipping there, I want to give you some context for chapter 10. The beginning part of it, verses 1 through 18, speak to the overwhelming power of Christ's sacrifice. And then starting at verses 19 through about 23, it speaks to the faith that is a result of that sacrifice and the assurance we can have in the sacrifice. So essentially, the author transitions at verse 24 into an attitude of, okay, we have this awesome and powerful faith. What do we do with it? And in the same way, we as high schoolers, as Christians, coming out of this whole lockdown can ask ourselves a similar question, being, okay, our freedoms have been restored to us, we have this awesome and powerful faith. Now we're free to exercise it. So what do we do? Read with me starting at verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day near. The answer to that original question is very clear and it becomes my first point. Point number one, the answer to what, what, what must we do with our time now that we're free is we must obey the command of Christian fellowship. Simple. We must obey the command of Christian fellowship. That comes out of verses 24 and 25a. 
Why? Why must we do this? Is it just because God commands us to do it? Well, if that was all there was, I'd be fine with that. But it's not quite all there is. We desperately need what Christian fellowship has to offer. We desperately need it. As people, we long to be with others. During the quarantine, I bet all of you felt just a, a lack of sufficiency in Zoom and FaceTime, texting, and six-foot hangouts. It didn't work. It's not enough. There's a barrier. There's something hindering you from like, embracing your brother or sister in Christ. You're not getting quality time. You feel isolated after a while. And that's because we as people, we need each other. In Genesis 2, God saw Adam was lonely, and he made for him somebody else. Now, I'm not really talking about the context of marriage here, but I'm talking about the principle of we need other people. It's in the core of our beings. We need people. We need to obey because we need people. And Christian fellowship can get us people. But as Christians, simply put, the Christian life is a life that's not done alone. It's never supposed to be done alone. The online school has done some good things for us. It's gotten us into the habit of being proactive, independent, not requiring so much instruction and help from others to get things done. But in the Christian life, that's a curse. It's a good thing in most every other thing, but in the Christian life, that's a curse. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you're doing. When it comes to the Christian life, I guarantee you, Paul and Thessalonians and the writer of Hebrews are not saying, stir up one another, encourage one another. I bet they're not saying it through Zoom or FaceTime or texting. They most definitely mean face-to-face. These people were meeting in houses together, sharing meals, and they were doing all these things that they were commanded to do face-to-face. Thus, I can definitely say that the Christian life needs other people. We as Christians are built for interaction with Christians. Not only that, But you can't properly fulfill your Christian obligation of loving other people if you're not face-to-face with them. If you can't, like, embrace them, give them a hug. Because the reality is, is I can guarantee you, it's been the same with me, that over this pandemic, the challenge has not been loving your small group or your friends because you've been video calling them and texting them. It's been loving your parents and your siblings. You spend all your time with these people, or you were, And it becomes difficult to be sacrificial and to love them properly. It just goes to prove the point that if we are to truly accept the challenge of loving people as Christ loved us, especially our Christian brothers and sisters, we need to be with them face to face, not even six feet. All those barriers in our mind need to be broken down so we can fully accept the challenge of loving people. We have to love people. Christian fellowship allows us to see other people, interact with Christians, and it allows us to love people. That's why we must obey. But on a second note, there are so many blessings that God affords us through Christian fellowship that we will miss out on. These are crucial for your walk. They're crucial. The one that I really want to hit on is you can recharge your spiritual batteries through Christian fellowship. Galatians 6.2 says, Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Christian interaction is beautiful. It's different than any other kind of interaction. It gives you more than you could ever imagine. We here as Christians were bought with a precious and powerful blood in Christ. He loved us so we could go out and love other people, so we could even do it in the first place. And when we're all together interacting, 
That love compounds on itself. You can love people and be loved, take their burdens and have yours taken off. Pour yourself out for your brother and sister in Christ and they'll pour themselves out for you. And the result is at the end of the day, True North, when you look at your cup, it's overflowing and so is theirs. We need this. It's so beautiful. It's glorious. We don't want to miss out. I don't want, to, I don't want anyone here to miss out on this. We're going to be spending a lot of time with the world. It's tiring. It's draining. It is. Our walk is hard. And if we're not refilling our batteries, we're going to crash. The world is tiring and draining because all of your relationships with the world are going to be transactional. You give them 50%, they might give you 50% back. And as a Christian, if you're giving 100% of yourself, they might give you a little bit back. And thus you're just draining yourself, empty, 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 until there's just nothing. And you crash. You need these Christian relationships so you find satisfaction, so you experience the love of God through his church. Another thing I want to hit on is the world gets tiring because it constantly ends up, the world creates for itself a dumpster fire of itself every single time. We constantly see these social upheavals, these problems in society, yet they try to like, fix these problems with a vain solution. They're trying to fix this without Christ, and they can't. And as a Christian, knowing the solution, watching them try to like, fix this, it gets tiring. You know the solution. You know you have the hope. But it gets especially tiring you know, I can, I can think of a special case now when you as a Christian stand up here, you say, I stand against murder. I stand against the murder of George Floyd. I stand against racism. I stand against theft and violence. And I stand with Christ above all of that. And when the world says, wait, you're not going to join a side? You're not going to pick a side? You're going to pick Christ? They hate you for it. They don't want our solution. We have to keep sharing it. But they don't want it, and it gets tiring. And as Christians, we need to fellowship together so that when we are out here standing against the tide, preaching Christ, we know we're not alone. It's a tiring fight. We need to be together so we know we're not alone in this. You know, last November, I took about two college trips and then a vacation all in quick succession. And I missed an entire month of church. I was not around for an entire month. I was just gone. And when I came back, I just remember thinking, I didn't know how spiritually dead I was in terms of my battery until I'd come back and gotten recharged. I was like a skeleton with a little meat hanging off my bones. Like it was, there's nothing left. And that's when I realized is if you go without it, if you go without fellowship, not just at church, but rather with the church, with people. It's like taking all-nighters repeatedly, one after another after another. Eventually, you're just going to crash. You can't stay awake that long and expect to fun function properly. And in the same way, you can't go without Christian fellowship that long and expect your spiritual life to function properly. So these all seem decently clear. So why do we need this reminder? Why is it so necessary? Because let's be honest, the pandemic has probably made most of us lazy. We have had flexible time schedules, stay-at-home work. A lot of our things have gotten canceled. And for most of us, it's left us lazy. As when we go without work, just as people, we will get lazy. And as we already talked about, loving people is so hard. You have to give of yourself. 
You have to give a lot of yourself. And while we would love to, re- to receive that all back, sometimes it's not always the case and we continue to have to love and sacrifice for people. Not only that, but I think we as Christians often forget that fellowship isn't just a command, but it's super effective at sanctifying people. If you reread verses 24 and 25 with me, it says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. When the writer talks about love and good works, and then he later says encouragement, and then puts that clause in there, not neglecting to meet together, it's like he's saying, you want to do these things? This is how you do it. You want to do them well? You want to get sanctified fast? You want to, you want to love and do good works well and quickly? Meet together. Do them together. So while it's a commandment, again, it's a commandment with a purpose for our good, and it sanctifies us so quickly. It's so effective. Lastly, read from me from the end of verse 25. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. So all those things about meeting together, encouragement, building one another up, there's a sense of urgency with that. You have to capitalize on its effectiveness because Christ is coming back. Either that or you're going to die. Either way, you don't have much time. You're limited on time. Make the most of it. If fellowship is a good thing for sanctification, do it often. And make sanctification the purpose of your fellowship. Right? It's like if you were studying for a test with a group of people. Theoretically, you should all work together to study for the test. And you get a good grade. But in reality, sometimes you just chit-chat. And by the end of the study session, you've done nothing. And you go to the test and you bomb it. The same thing is with fellowship. We can fellowship together. We can be together as Christians. But if it's not driven by sanctification, we will lose out on its effectiveness. That's my second point. We need to make sanctification the center of our relationships. I'll say it again. Christian relationships are purpose-built for this very thing. They're meant for it. Anything else, you're not getting the full effect. Not only that, but if you think about it, you have an amazing opportunity, not only to be sanctified, but to sanctify your brother or sister in Christ. Imagine that. You get to the kingdom, and God not only says, well done, but you're also a part of your brother's well done, because you bolstered them, you stirred them up, you ran alongside them, and you helped them in trying times. Aside from that, if sanctification is the center of our relationships, it will dictate who we spend time with. It will dictate who we fellowship and have relationships with. This question has probably been asked of you a million times, but I'll ask it again. Are you too busy for church? Can you make it to the weekly activities? Can you even make it to weekend service? Are you making small groups a priority? But what I think is more important is the question, are you too busy for the church, for the people of God? Are you ever making time to hang out with brothers and sisters in Christ who will drive you to be more like Christ? Not just, as I said, fellowshipping for the purpose of being together, but fellowshipping for the purpose of godliness. Is that your focus? Are you making time for that? One more question I'll ask and I'll leave up to you because I understand how personal this can be. Are you unequally yoked with somebody who's dragging you down? There are a multitude of scenarios to think about when you ask that question of yourself. And I'm going to let you ask that question of yourself because I understand how difficult it can be when you realize you have to make an adjustment that deep. 
Why am I stressing this so much? Yes, Christ is coming back. Yes, you're going to die, but you've heard this before. Why is it so important? If we look at the structure of this passage, it works like a pendulum. On one side, we have the overwhelming goodness and power of Christ's sacrifice and the faith it gives us. But as we move to the middle, there are two possibilities. One who partakes in the blessing, as it says in verse 24 and 25, how to stir up one another, the love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, but encouraging one another. But then we have another reality, one who abstains. You see, 25 says, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. The writer is aiming this at some people who are not making fellowship for sanctification a priority. And the result of this is serious. It's scary. Start reading with me at verse 26. This is the result when you neglect to meet together. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. No sacrifice for sins. Fearful expectation of judgment. A fury of fire. Those all sound like rewards reserved for the unbeliever. Why is the author of Hebrews bringing that up here? We already sort of hit on it. The people who neglect to meet together, they're getting complacent. And it leads into their sanctification. They get complacent about their place with Christ. They don't care so much about becoming godlier. They just sort of stagnate. And the reality is, we need to heed the warning of complacency. Because the end of complacency is apostasy. Total goneness, whatever you want to call it. And it leads me to point number three. See the gravity of complacency. The end of complacency is apostasy. And if you don't know what that word means, it means you've fallen away. It means you're no longer part of the church. You no longer call yourself a Christian. Am I telling you that you can lose your salvation? No, not at all. Let me read from you Hebrews 6, 4 through 6. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. What is it saying? It's saying it's impossible for somebody who's lost their salvation to get saved again. Why? You don't need to turn there, but I'll read from you from Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. In him also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the, promise, with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. The inheritance is your resurrection with Christ into glory. So it's saying you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit, Christian. So what this is obviously saying in Hebrews is that it is impossible for someone who has lost their salvation to get saved again because people who, lost, who lose their salvation aren't a thing. You can't restore somebody to repentance who doesn't exist. We can all take heart in that. But what this passage and the passage in Hebrews 10 serves as is a solemn reminder to us who are persevering in the faith to keep on persevering and not get complacent. The reality is when it talks about falling away, restore them again to repentance, crucifying the Son of God once again, 
It's really aimed at people who are in true north, who claim Christ, who know what this is all about, but ultimately reject them by not persevering. Because why? They neglected to meet together. They got complacent about their sanctification. And as Galatians 5.9 says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. A little bit crept in, and it grew and grew and grew and snowballed until they were gone. They're falling away. Apostasy and complacency, it's so serious because what complacency does is it compounds itself into a sin that can prove your faith to be fake. Christian faith is that that perseveres to the end. So when you let complacency creep in and it grows and you fall away, it's because that complacency and the ultimate apostasy proved you to be fake. We have to work together to not be fake. That's the whole point. But complacency comes in all different forms. Underclassmen, you're going to be exposed to new things more and more, and you're not going to want to do them immediately per se, but you're going to want to be around the people who do. And that's a form of complacency. That's a form of complacency. You will do those things with them eventually. I guarantee it. For us upperclassmen, we may be tempted to think we're all that, that our sanctification is good, we're solid, we've grown in Christ, and that we don't need to make our Christian friendships a priority because of that. We don't need to worry about sanctification when we fellowship because of that. We're not all that. We haven't made it. We have a long way to go. We have so far to go. We have to put that temptation away because we are not even close. We have to keep that in mind. Because we see the gravity of complacency. We know what that produces. And we want to get as far away from it as possible. I'll give you a story of mine that might prove this point and assure you a little bit. I got saved in 2016 and went into high school that same year and joined the football team. And, I mean, there were some things going on in the locker room that I hadn't really seen before. And I didn't want to do them per se, but I, as I said, wanted to get close to the people who did. So I got really close to my football team, unbelievers. I got unnecessarily close. And I felt my fellowship slipping away. And I felt myself getting complacent over my sanctification because of it. I felt God stirring in my heart as well throughout those two and a half years, calling me back, telling me, hey, this is not where you're supposed to be. You're slipping down a path that leads to death. I want you out. And the last year around February, I quit. And I got entrenched in church again. And it was the best decision I've made since I have got saved. Why I'm up here is that if I had continued down that path of fellowshipping with the wrong people, getting close to the wrong people, and not making Christians my priority, I couldn't stand up here and tell you that I am saved today. Not because I lost it, but the complacency that I let creep into my life proved my faith to be fake. That's what I want all of you to understand. You can't let complacency get the better of you. It's serious. It causes damage, real damage. What I want to tell you through this, I want you to remember this. I want this to be the reminder you keep in the forefront of your mind. God causes us to persevere through each other. Seniors, I don't care where you're going to college. You're going to need to find a place. If you're staying here, you're going to need to up your participation. You're going to need to get yourself more entrenched. 
If you're a senior and you're going away, find that home church that's going to sustain you for the next four years and get more involved and more entrenched than you ever thought. Going through the motion, just finding a church, just being a part of it, and going to your two things a week is not enough to persevere you to the end. You need people, especially Christians, more than you can ever imagine. God causes us to persevere through each other. That's a beautiful truth. We should be reminding ourselves of that every day and leaning on each other. You have to imagine it as when we get to the kingdom, we might as well enter the kingdom with arms linked. That's how it's going to be. I want you to remember that. God causes you to persevere through each other. He causes us to do that. It's beautiful. Rely on each other. Whatever stage of life you're in here, I want you to remember, I want you to remember it well for your good. Wherever you go, if you surround yourself and entrench yourself with good Christian people, and you make a fortress of fellowship, you will withstand the trials. College, it's a firestorm, but you'll, you'll stay standing. High school, it's pretty bad, but you'll stay standing. That is if you surround yourself. You surround yourself with good people, I promise you, True North, I promise you, it will be all right. God will keep you. You will make it. Let's pray. God, just thank you for your word and the reminders and the commands it gives us. Help us to cherish this. Help us to continually stay reminded. Refresh our minds daily. Thank you for this ministry in the four years that I and many seniors have gotten to spend here. And thank you just for the friends and brothers and sisters in Christ that I've found and I've gotten close to. Pastor Rod's leadership has just been invaluable. And I know he'll continue serving you. As we leave today, I just pray that we would just be continually reminded of your grace and lean on each other through tribulation. In Christ's name I pray, amen.